Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. We're so glad you've joined us for another episode. One of the most common topics that arises during our While We're Waiting weekends for bereaved parents is how we as bereaved parents can help our surviving children. When we are grieving so deeply ourselves, we can feel very ill-equipped to parent our children through their grief. Surviving siblings deal with a whole host of issues that we, as their parents, generally know nothing about. So I am thrilled to have a very special guest joining us today to talk about these issues, my daughter Bethany. I pray that our conversation will be helpful to you, whether you're a grieving parent or a grieving sibling. Hi, Bethany. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so pleased to have you joining us today. I really think that sibling grief is such an important topic and one that doesn't get nearly enough attention. And I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I have too. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking through some things and hopefully, you know, I pray that somebody can take one thing from it. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. So let's get started by just giving you an opportunity to tell a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you do there. I live in Northwest Arkansas. I'm a dental hygienist up here. I've been doing that for about three years, and that's about it. Yeah, very good. So some of our listeners may have heard a little bit about Hannah's story from me, but would you take just a few minutes and share a little bit about Hannah's story from your perspective as her younger sister? Yeah, absolutely. So growing up, we're really, really close siblings. I mean, Hannah was my best friend. She was, you know, the person I told everything to. She, We got along pretty well for sisters. I mean, we genuinely enjoyed each other's company and loved to hang out. So she was diagnosed with brain cancer um, whenever I was 12. And so that immediately changed my life. That completely rocked my world, of course, like it did our whole family. Um, it was very hard watching her going through surgery and cancer treatments and radiation and losing hair and standing by her side through all of those things. And as a 12-year-old, not really understanding what was going on and, you know, struggling through that. Um, so... Hannah battled cancer for a year and um, she ended up passing away. It was 12 years ago um, in February. So obviously as a young teenager or preteen, it was very difficult for me to go through um, seeing my best friend deteriorate over a year and seeing the person that I looked up to the most struggle for a year and end up passing away. It was very, very difficult. It caused me to grow up very quickly. And um, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk more about all that later. Well, and I think something that happens, um, you know, the day that Hannah went to heaven, you not only lost your older sister and best friend, but you really lost the parents that you had had up to that point because, yeah, um, you know, Hannah's yeah. passing changed your dad and I profoundly. It changed changed me too. You know, I remember leaving, um, the hospice and, you know, all us all looking at each other getting in a car and saying, okay, well, this is the start of our new normal. And uh, it was, you yeah. know, our lives were forever changed, but 
they were changed from, you know, diagnosis as well. Sure. All of y'all's attention, rightfully so, was on Hannah. And so, you know, from day one of our cancer journey, it was, it was rough. Yeah, absolutely. So as we launch into this discussion of issues faced by bereaved siblings, I want to just remind our listeners that Bethany and I are mother and daughter. And as we discuss these issues, I'm sure that we're going to come across many things that her dad and I handled imperfectly. And I want to assure you that after the passage of 12 years and many conversations during that time, and by God's grace, Bethany and I are comfortable now talking openly and freely and honestly about these things. So our desire is that through our conversation today, you can maybe learn from some of the things we did wrong and maybe even some things we did right. As you'd all know, there is no manual for this journey. So Bethany, do you have anything that you'd like to add to that? Yeah, you're exactly right. There is no manual. I wish there was a 10-step program of like, this is how you get through your grief and it's going to be a piece of cake. But unfortunately, that's not how it is. Everybody, you know, grieves differently. And um, I'm very thankful that we can talk about these things now and, um, yeah, share our struggles. And hopefully other people can learn and and use them for their surviving children and for their day-to-day lives. Yeah, absolutely. That is what we hope for sure through this conversation. In preparation for this interview, I posted on our closed While We're Waiting Support for Bereaved Parents Facebook group um, the fact that we'd be having this interview, and I asked them to submit any questions that they might like to have answered or issues they want us to discuss. And there were nearly 50 comments, and every one of those comments had multiple questions and issues uh, that were suggested in it. And obviously, we can't answer them all, but together, we're going to try to address as many as we can. So... One question that came up several times in response to that Facebook post and is actually probably the most common thing that we hear from parents at our retreats is, why won't my kid talk to me about their grief? Or why doesn't my kid want to talk about their sibling? How would you address that question? It's a really tough one because I believe that siblings are like the surviving children. We are conditioned from the very beginning that we need to be quiet. We're conditioned to keep quiet because it helps our parents. It's kind of what we're told. We're told so many times, and I've, I was told this, and I know a lot of other surviving children were told, you have to be strong for your parents. You have to be strong for your mom or your dad, and they're hurting so bad, and it's almost like they elevate y'all's grief like y'all's hurt is so much worse than mine almost and so I'm like oh well I don't want to hurt my parents more so I'm not going to talk about it and so I'm going to push that down not talk about it and it's going to be fine I'm going to be strong for my parents and so I think we're conditioned from the beginning that we can't talk about anything and so we never talk about anything um there is the um, while we're waiting support for bereaved siblings on Facebook. People talk to my mom about how there's not a whole lot of, or their kid has said that there's not a whole lot of action on it, or people aren't talking as much. And I genuinely think we don't know how to talk. I gen- I genuinely think that we don't know what to say. We're, we were told that we couldn't really talk about it when it first happened. And so 
when we don't know how to share our emotions. And so whenever we can, it's like, I, I was never taught this. Right. Yeah. I think that's really, really sad that so many siblings are told that they have to be strong for their parents. And um, I mean, that's such a disservice to those siblings um, to hear that and, and to be made to feel that their grief is somehow lesser than uh, their parents. Grief. It, they discredit their emotions and that's really hard when that's the only emotion you have. Yeah. Well, and do you feel like as a sibling, um, as our surviving child, were you hesitant sometimes to talk about your grief because you did not want to add to our pain? Yes, absolutely. Um, Mainly because people said, you know, you have to be strong for your parents or whatever. You're like, well, if they're hurting, I don't, I can't add you know, pain. I can't tell them I'm hurting because then they'll be afraid for me and they'll feel bad for me. So I'd rather, you know, do this all by myself. So I don't add pain to them. One thing um, that I struggled with is I felt very alone because I lost my only sibling, my sister, the person who I told everything to that I confided in. And um, so when she was gone, I had no one and you and dad had each other. And y'all grieved more behind closed doors, I think, because I think y'all didn't want to hurt me either. And so I just thought y'all were done grieving and y'all were good to go. And I was like, oh no, like I am so not good to go, but I can't, I should be over it. And so I just continued to press things down. Right. I remember times, you know, especially early on where the three of us grieved together, you know, where we would just stand and mm-hmm. hold each other and, and weep. But over time, you know, that those early days, yeah. you can't control it. I mean, it's just, it's just going to come out. But I think as time kind of went along, dad and I tried to kind of protect you from our grief. And so, like you said, we would grieve kind of behind closed doors, maybe after you went to bed at night. And um, so we were trying to protect you from our grief. And at the same time, you were trying to protect us from your grief, right? Right. And it kind of became a vicious cycle where we were not including each other in, in each other's grief, if that makes sense, the way we should have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember, I can still remember the day that and I don't even know how long it had been since Hannah died. It seems like it was a couple of years, maybe, that you did come to us and you thought we were over it yeah. because we were we had done such a good job of hiding our grief that we had not even we we hadn't let you see it and you thought that we were fine and you couldn't figure out why you were not. Is that right? One hundred percent. Yeah, I was. I was like, what is wrong with me? If they're over it. Why am I not over it? I was so very confused. I felt extremely, I felt extremely alone. Yeah. And I think after that point, we began to see the importance of bringing you in and allowing you to see that we were indeed still grieving and uh, we're nowhere near, you know, quote, over it at that time. So how can parents, how can parents do that better? (laughs) What, what do they need to do? Do they need to allow their kids to see them grieving and, and uh, include them in that process more? I do think it's different for every person. Sure. I would say for both siblings and parents to give each other grace 
to not discredit their emotions or discount their emotions. I think maybe we could have done a better job of giving each other permission to grieve. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, What would you tell that parent who is concerned that their child won't talk to them? Just give them grace. You know, sometimes you just want, they just want you to sit and hurt with them, but they don't want to talk about it. And that's okay. You know, sometimes they just need you to sit and and hurt because y'all are both hurting. You know, you're both hurting and knowing that they're conditioned to not talk about it or knowing when you realize that they were told they have to be strong for you, allowing them to not have to be strong for you may open some doors of communication. Wonderful. That's, I think that's really good advice. Something I hope from this podcast is that this may be something that parents and their kids can listen to together. Yeah. And maybe that can help open some doors just hearing you and I talk about this. Um, and that that might give them some um, ideas and things about maybe how they can communicate better with each other. I do want to make clear that this is my story, what happened to me, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. It's not necessarily going to be the same for your child. I think that's a good point that every sibling is going to be different. The the thing about, you know, we, with while we're waiting, we deal with adults. And so everybody that we talk to, as far as bereaved parents, we're all adults. We're different age adults, but we're all adults. When you're talking siblings, you can be talking, you know, from a, a child who's two or three years old to a sibling who's 45. Right. And um, with all different life experiences and, and things like that. So in our discussion today, we're talking about the grief of a 13, 14 year old girl who lost her only sibling, which is right. a very different experience than than what many others may have. But I would think that there would be some common common things as well. Absolutely. So another question, do you feel like siblings are overlooked when a family loses a child? And I know you've shared with me, what are some experiences that made you feel that way? Siblings are like forgotten grief hundred percent. It is definitely overlooked. Um, personally, I've had a friend that just lost some, a sibling and I was talking to a woman that I like and that I look up to and I was talking to her and she was saying, man, you know, her mom must be so sad. And I was like, yeah, you know, she's sad too, though. Like my friend's really sad. She's like, yeah, I'm sure she's sad, but can you just imagine how her mom feels? And I was like, Okay, but like my friend's still sad. I, it, you know, it, that happens so much. It's just, I don't think people really think about it. Yeah, I, I just don't think people are aware of the depth of sibling grief. Right. So, what grade were you in when Hannah died? I was in eighth grade. You were in eighth grade. So, you had to walk back into your junior high school. And what was that like for you returning to school? To be totally and completely honest, I don't remember. I don't remember going back to school. I remember I wasn't in school for a few couple weeks. I don't even remember how long I was out. I don't remember going back to school um, like in the first week or whatever, whatever that looked like. I do remember not necessarily having a whole lot of friends because, you know, middle schoolers are weird anyways. They don't know how to talk to you anyways. And then you throw in, you just lost your sibling 
they're not going to talk to you because they definitely don't know what to say. They're not going to say the right thing. So most of the people, they just kind of, they don't want to say the wrong thing. So they say nothing at all. And then you just kind of lose your friends. So it was definitely hard going back to school. I think I had a lot of teachers that um, helped probably push me along (laughs) through eighth grade more than I should have been. I probably should have been held back. I don't know. But because you know, when you're, you you don't learn whenever you're going through all that grief, you're not learning anything. You're not retaining anything. Like I'm looking back on that time now and I'm like, I don't even remember going back to school, let alone what I learned, but, um, it was very difficult going back. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, as, as adults, one of the things we talk about a lot at our retreats are the some of the crazy things that people say to us, some of the very hurtful things that are said to us. And that's from other adults. I can't imagine what middle school or junior high age kids might say to someone who had just lost their sibling. Yeah, not good things. <laughs> not good things. And you can, you know, look back on that now and laugh about it. But whenever you were going through it and someone tells you that they know what they're going, you're going through because they just lost their grandpa or their dog which are very sad things. It's not the same and made me want to punch people in the face, but I didn't, but I wanted to sometimes. Um, Even sometimes the teachers didn't always know what to say or said the wrong things. Um, It's unfortunate, but people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you had already dealt with the fact, well, and we should acknowledge your dad was your principal at the time. Yes, and was. so as your sister, as your sister went through her cancer journey, it was very public in the school. Um, everybody knew what was going on because it was Mr. Sullivan's daughter that had cancer, yeah. Mr. Sullivan's daughter that had died. And so you had to live in the shadow of that for a year before she went to heaven. What was that like? That's a good question. Um, I don't think teachers knew what to say to me at all. I don't know. I, they didn't really know which I don't blame them. I wouldn't know what to say either or do. Um, I kind of just wanted to be treated like any other kid, but sometimes I wasn't. Um, It was hard. And going to the same high school after she passed away, I felt like I had to live up. Hannah was extremely smart, by the way. Um, She made all A's and I didn't. (laughs) I probably could have, but I didn't care a whole lot about school. I just wanted to have fun and play sports and have a good time and be a little social butterfly. So I felt like I had to live up to Hannah's, you know, smarts or whatever to the teachers even. And that's an unfair thing to put on myself. Right. Well, and it's a small school district. And um, as I recall, you were frequently called Hannah by your teachers in class, right? Because they they had all taught Hannah a couple of years before. Yes. And as you would come through their classrooms, they would look at you and they'd be thinking about your sister. And you were often called the wrong name. Often. And I know the poor teachers probably wanted to just crawl in a hole. And I feel so sorry for them. But, um, yeah, it was awful. Because, you know, it's just like ripping a Band-Aid off sitting in class. Yeah. And then I have to act normal. You can't act normal after that. Yeah. It was rough. I can't even imagine. Um, I do recall that there were times um, that you would call me sometimes from school and you'd just be like, I just can't do it today. 
and I would come and pick you up, take you home. Um, do you think that's something that parents need to be aware of? Do you even remember that? I have no memory of that. <laughs> that's so sad that I just yeah was grieving to the point where I don't remember that. I try to blow it out of my memory, I guess. Yeah. Well, grief brain is a real thing. We know that as adults. So, but I was just thinking, you know, there may be times that parents need to be aware of that and conscious of that, and that there may be days that their kids just can't do school. And if they're, you know, they need to take them out or, you know, um, take them, take them out to lunch or whatever they need to do to just kind of give them a break from school and all the stresses that are going on with that too. And just, just be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. I know with friends and everything, um, it was very hard for me to, because whenever something like that happens to you, whenever, you know, it grows you up. So I went from being, I may have been in a 13 year old body, but my brain was not 13 years old. And so I matured very, very quickly. And so me and my friends, I didn't have a whole lot of grace for them whenever they were stressed out or upset about very trivial things, minor things. I didn't have a whole lot of grace, which looking back, that's probably, that's on me. Um, we just didn't have a whole lot in common because they were worried about some things that were small. And I'm, and I kept being like, how, how can you even worry about that when there's so many other big things going on or, you know, I'm just trying to make it day by day surviving, yeah. you know, it was just, it was hard to have friends. Yeah. Well, in the whole middle school, junior high drama stuff that occurs so naturally among teenage girls, I recall you did not have a lot of patience for that. Zero patience. Yeah. And then other kids, friends that would complain about their siblings. Yes. Yes. It is almost like people almost glorify sibling rivalry or like sibling fighting or, man, I hate my sibling. That was so hard to hear my peers and my friends talk about whenever, you know, I had just lost Hannah. I'm like, I would literally do anything never fight with Hannah again just to have her back yeah and and that's just got to be so hard to to walk back into that kind of setting and have to face it every single day and be expected to write papers and take tests and you know do all the things you have to do to be successful in school on top of all of that going on the emotional trauma and all of that so You know, one thing that we've observed in talking with a lot of bereaved parents over the last several years is that sibling grief tends to be delayed somewhat. Um, Was that your experience? 100%. I was A-OK after Hannah died, I feel like, for a while. Obviously, I was very sad, but I pushed everything down. I was, quote unquote, strong for my parents, put on a happy face, and just pushed it so far down that I was numb and just wanted to pretend like it wasn't happening. Y'all did a whole lot of um, like church where we went around and talked to a whole bunch of churches. And I remember I even talked in front of youth groups and stuff. Looking back, I'm like, how did I even do that? Because I was so numb because it was only a few months after Hannah died. Yeah. Um, And then It was probably a year that I say like the grief train caught up to me and completely ran me over. 
and I was so in the depths of really depression and grief. I remember I would stay up all night. I would not sleep. I would stay up all night long and then I would sleep at school. I would just sleep on my desk. My grades suffered, but I didn't, I couldn't sleep. And so I just slept at school. It was awful. Yeah. It was probably a year later before I really grieved my sister. Mm -hmm. And it was because I pushed it down so far and acted like it was fine. And then it's going to come and hit you sometime. And for me, it was just a year, year and a half later and totally took me out. Yeah. It's a very common thing that we hear um, is that it just seems to be delayed. And I don't know if it's partly it just takes that long for the reality to really sink in that this is a permanent thing. Or if it's just like you said, you just you you've been so conditioned to be strong for your parents that you've just managed to stuff it down and you can only stuff it down for so long before it comes comes out. Yeah. And maybe that's what it is. I think it's the latter. I really do think that I stuffed it for so long and wanted it to not be there and you know, that I could forget about it. And if I forgot about it enough it would, you know, be fine. But it doesn't work that way. Right. So at about that point that 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 all of that was kind of coming out and it in that as you said that grief train kind of ran you over um we did um uh, do some counseling you did some counseling right so what about counseling i mean is that something did you find that helpful for you is that something that um that you would recommend for parents to to consider for their children what are your thoughts on counseling so in my experience when I went to counseling at that point, um, it wasn't great for me. Bless her. She did everything she could, but I was not there. I, I didn't try. Like she gave me a packet and I never touched it, never opened it. And I would go and I would sit in there and I would just lie my way through it. And everything's great. It's great. I read the packet and I learned so much and it's fantastic and I'm over this. And so, um, you know, so that wasn't very helpful for me at the time. I think y'all pushed me to go because I was staying up all night and I was sleeping all day at school and I was acting out and, you know, I was more, I just, I was not in a good place. Right. So it was probably a good thing to go, but I was not ready to deal with it or go through counseling at that time. I would also suggest to try to find a counselor that has lost somebody very close, whether that is a sibling, which would be fantastic, but I know that's not always, you know, going to happen, but someone very, very close to them um, so that they can, you know, when they talk about a grief journey, they've actually been on one. Yeah, I think that would be, it would be wonderful. I, I wish there were counselors that just specialized in that because I just think that's such a unique right. um, niche that needs to be addressed. I needed someone to look at me and be like, mm, no, you're not okay. And see through what I was saying and the lies that I was, or you know, the front that I had on, the mask that I had on and say, no, you're not okay. I know this because I've been there and this is what we're going to do about it. Right. Yeah. You know, it often seems like the child who has gone to heaven gets put on a pedestal by the family and even by people outside the family. 
So is it common for siblings to feel that they are somehow less than the child who died? And how do you deal with that? I didn't deal with it well. Um, I will say that. But you're right. Like my sibling, Hannah, she was pretty much perfect anyways. She obviously she made straight A's. She never did anything wrong. Of course, she was human. Like, right. you know, she definitely had her things that she did, but she was genuinely a great person. Yeah. Um, obviously, we fought and stuff, you know, so she was, she was a sister. She wasn't perfect, but she didn't have a whole lot of life to live to mess up. And she didn't mess up a whole lot, like big things. And so when she passed away, boom, she can't mess up anymore. She's on this pedestal. And then here's me who's got my entire life to mess up, which I'm pretty good at. And so I can't ever live up to Hannah and her pedestal. And so I just kind of did whatever I wanted to and, um, you know, live for myself and, you know, it's not healthy. Um, but it is very unfortunate that when someone dies, they, they are put on this pedestal and you you can't ever live up to that. And that's daunting for the surviving child. It is a task that is impossible. And so, and I knew it was impossible. And so I think that I was like, well, I'm never going to be perfect. So I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> when you did that. <laughs> that's how you felt. You may not have said it in that many words, but I remember living it with you. <laughs> Good times. So how can a parent avoid that situation? In, in Hannah's situation, it was probably even more so because she did battle cancer for a year and it was so public and she was already on the pedestal before she went to heaven. And then, you know, yeah. the pedestal just got higher. And, um, you know, and I do think that's a common thing that, that siblings deal with. So what can parents do to avoid that situation or to, if the situation can't be avoided, at least to minimize it? somewhat or yeah. get through it. I don't think it can be avoided. I think when someone dies at the funeral, nobody talks about the bad things that they did. They only talk about all these wonderful things that they did. And that's great, but they are put on a pedestal. So I don't think that you can avoid that. But I do think as a parent, you know, you can probably talk to your child about it and be like, I understand that you're going to mess up or you're not perfect. And it's okay. Like, and just be real with them about even your own life or, you know, give, give them permission to not be perfect because it is one impossible, but extremely overwhelming for someone to think that they have to try to be. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes there's a temptation as a parent when one of your children dies to to spend a lot of focus on that child who is gone and because we miss them so much and we want to talk about them and we want to focus on them. But I think a danger that we face as bereaved parents sometimes is to focus on the child that's gone to the detriment of our children that are living. And um, I think that's something we, we as bereaved parents really have to be careful to avoid Um, easier said than done. Um, but you know, we, we don't ever want to make our surviving children feel like they are less than the child who died. 
I would definitely say try when you do talk about your story um, to not leave your surviving children out of your story. So when you're telling someone about your life or what happened or, you know, just your life in general, sometimes we feel like we're skipped over in that story. Like we never existed. And it's like, well, right here, you know, and I'm alive and I really need you. Yeah. So don't leave them out. Don't leave them out. Yeah. I think that's important for parents to hear for all of them. It was important for me to come to that understanding myself as a bereaved parent. So I'm glad we've discussed that. We were talking about, we were talking about that um, just the other day of, um, you know, on Facebook, if you post a picture of your um, child that has passed and you have surviving children, I, you said that you always try to post a, a picture of me when you post a picture of Hannah. I appreciate that because it does make me feel like, oh, you know, she does remember me, <laughs> and which I know you do. But um, right, you know, I do think it's important and it is appreciated to know that we're not forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most common question that adults ask children and and young adults even is when they're first meeting them, they'll ask you, how many siblings do you have? Um, How do you handle that question? Gross. I hate this question. (laughs) It's the worst question ever because it's impossible to answer correctly. Um, Working as a dental hygienist, a lot of my patients, that's just like what they ask. Well, what's first like, are you married? Do you have any kids? And then it's, well, how many siblings do you have? It's like, I don't know how to answer that. If I'm having a terrible day and I'm like, I I just don't want to talk about this. I'm going to, you know, I I don't really want to talk about it. I'll say none, which I, I hate to do, but it's easier to do that than one, make them feel awkward and two, bring emotions that I don't want to think about. And, they're, you know, if I'm having a good day and they ask me that question and I want to talk about it, I say, I, ha- I have one sister. She passed away about 12 years ago, you know, but she was 17. She died of brain cancer. And usually they don't ask a whole lot of follow-up questions because it's awkward then. <laughs> right. But um, it does get asked all the time, especially when you're younger, I just think that's how the way a lot of adults start conversations with children because they don't know what else to say. So the default question is, oh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And yes, that's got to be really a hard question to ask, especially the younger you are and the closer it is to right. your loss. Yeah. Being 25 years old, I can answer that question 12 years out and be okay. You asked me that when I was 17, I would not be okay. Would not be okay. Um, but you can't fault them for asking. It's just an unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate thing. Part of our culture, for sure. What are some situations? I know you've told me just a couple of stories in the past. And, and I think these stories are so interesting because we as adults have no idea what bereaved siblings deal with. Um, but uh, you've told me a couple of situations where you found yourself where the number of siblings issue was just a, a problem for you. It was just something that was so just kind of thrown up into your face without, um, without preparation. This is probably one of the topics that I get most 
emotional about. It's one of the hardest things to talk about because it's a very, it's just, so it was just awful. So there's two instances that really um, stuck with me. <laughs> it was very, very hard for me to deal with and is, um, I think, important to say because I think it will make parents understand what their kids are going through. Um, there was a class project that I had. This was like a year after. Do you remember this? Oh, yes. A I year, think. maybe two years after Hannah died. Yes. It was a family tree. Do you remember? Is oh, this one you were thinking? Yes, of? absolutely. I, I, yeah, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. So it was a family tree and you had to, you know, what everybody knows what a family tree is. And she stands up at the front of the class and she said, and if the person in the family has died, you just draw a big X through their name, like a red X. And I'm standing there. I'm like, you really want me to one, have to have a family tree with my sister that has died on it. And two, you actually want me to mark it out. Like it was the worst worst experience. It was the worst project that I've ever done. And for anyone else, it was probably fine. Right. But it was awful. It took everything, everything in me to mark an ex. Well, and as I recall at that time, you had not lost any grandparents. You you had not lost anyone in your family other than Hannah. So you've got this family tree with all of these old people on it who are still alive. And the only person you cross out with a red X is your sister. That that's devastating. It was awful. I'll never forget it. Yeah. There was another time I was at church camp. This is actually just a couple years ago, a few years ago. And I was a um, counselor at this church camp or not even a counselor. It was just like a weekend camp. And um, we were doing icebreakers before the camp started and it was breaking people up into four groups. And so it was like a question, like, what's your favorite food? And it was like, if you like hot dogs, get in this corner. Hamburgers, get in this corner. And so it was um, different groups. And so every topic, you would switch into different groups, and then you would talk to the people in that group. So then the question was asked, well, how many siblings do you have? If you're have, if you an only child, get in this group. If you have one sibling, get in this group. If you have two, this group, and then three or more get in this group. And so everybody's scurrying around and I'm like 22, 23 at this time. So it's been a while. I should be fine, but I wasn't. (laughs) And I'm sitting there in the middle of the room and I'm like, what do I do in this situation? Do I go to one sibling group and talk to them and have to explain that? Because then you were talking, once you got to the group, then you had to talk about your sibling and all about it and everything. So was I going to have to go over there and do that with all these children? (laughs) Or would I have to go into the zero category and just like act like it's fine and not have to talk about my sibling because it's zero? I was like, okay, I guess this will probably be the easiest. I'm just going to go to zero so I don't have to explain myself and make all these kids sad. (laughs) So I go to zero And everyone's celebrating that they're an only sibling. They're like, yay, this is my only sibling group. I'm my only child. 
And uh, that was awful, awful. Because I didn't want to be in that group. I didn't want, I don't, I didn't choose to be an only child. That's not what I wanted. I wasn't always an only child. I did have a sister, but there was no, there was not a good place for me to choose. It was awful. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important for parents to hear those kinds of stories because, um, you know, that's not the world we live in as parents. And we have no idea that you are at school or at church camp or youth group or whatever and facing those kinds of situations because you're probably not going to come home and tell us about them. In fact, you didn't um, either one of those times. And so we had, we had no idea you were going through those kinds of things. And I think, I think it's important for parents to hear stories like that. So we know the kinds of things our kids are facing uh, in these different settings. Um, like the auditorium, sometimes it would come up like, does anybody fight with your sibling? And like, people are raising their hands and stuff. And I'm like, "Mm, I wish I could fight with my sibling. I don't have one anymore. It's just constant reminder of you don't have one anymore. And you used to, it's just, it's very sad. Yeah. What are some things um, that you do to celebrate Hannah on her birthdays or the anniversaries of her heaven going? I still, to this day, always go to Outback on Hannah's birthday. Um, That's just what our family did. We always went to Outback pretty much for anyone's birthday. It was just a big deal. One time a year I go to Outback because Hannah's birthday. Um, So I do still do that. Um, anytime we're together, we always have a Mississippi mud cake. Um, I've even made it for myself a few times, just, you know, in honor of her, but that's, that's pretty much what we do. I mean, I also have a lot of home videos that if I'm sad, I'm going to watch home videos. I love watching home videos. Mm -hmm. So on her birthday and stuff, that's usually, usually what I'm doing. Yeah, I think we have to just figure out what works for us on those kinds of days, you know, and um, we've never been a a family to celebrate or mark those things in a huge way. We kind of do them more quietly. And I think you've kind of carried on that that tradition. Um, So do you ever think that some siblings or maybe yourself grow weary of having, you know, at every time there's a family get together, there's some kind of special remembrance of this sibling that has passed away. Um, is that something that you think is an issue for, for some siblings or maybe has been for you? I do. I do think sometimes we don't want to talk about it. We're like, Oh my goodness. I just want to, you know, enjoy this time or whatever. You know, you don't want to always have it thrown in your face. Cause you know, we're probably thinking about them anyways, but on the other hand, I think there's a fine line because it may be needed for your healing, for the parents' healing. So just because we may not, you know, we may be growing weary of it, but if you need it, you don't necessarily not do it because it would help your grief. But so there is a fine line there. I think, I think that's part of like the open dialogue that is necessary to have with your child because there may be some parents who feel like they need to talk about it because maybe they think it's helping the surviving child, but it may not be helping the surviving child, but they're too afraid to say anything about it. So I think there is an open communication there that needs to be had. 
Right. And it could be that, like you said, that balance between what the parent needs and what the child needs. If, um, you know, at Christmas or something, there's going to be some kind of special remembrance or activity that, that the family is going to do. Maybe the surviving sibling doesn't have to participate if they don't want to, you know, but that's something that the parent and the child have to communicate about. Yeah. And a warning would be super fantastic. Um, if you know ahead of time, you can prepare yourself (laughs) <laughs> if you know it's coming, if you know that there's going to be a, a dagger, you know, at least you can prepare yourself for the pain. I mean, just a few Christmases ago, I was completely blindsided and it was already a hard Christmas and already was going through a lot of stuff and was blindsided. Um, totally not anyone's fault, but I was blindsided and talking about Hannah and I was... I broke down, just completely, completely broke down. Yeah. I just was not, not prepared for it. Warnings are great. Super. Yeah. Yeah. Or even ask permission, maybe not warn, but say, Hey, would you be okay if we included this activity in our Christmas celebration? Or we talked about this during Christmas that might even be better. You think? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Things that we don't think about as parents, you know? That's why I think this conversation is so important. It's unfortunate because when you're going through it, like when we were going through it, yes, we weren't necessarily thinking no. about what is going to be better for each other down the road or what's going to be a lasting effect on my surviving kid or y'all. Um, you know, we were just trying to survive day by day. So I, I think it is cool. I wish we could have had some, somebody tell us, you know, what to expect or what to do or what not to do. So we would be more prepared. And But we survived. We made it. We did. We did. <laughs> and I think, you know, when parents, I hope parents that are listening to this don't beat themselves up thinking, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that or I shouldn't have done that. You know, we do the best we can with the knowledge that we yeah. have at the time. And, you know, we're talking about sibling grief and and just kind of the brain fog and all of that, that, that you were in those early years, the parents are there too. And 100%. we're all just doing, we're just all surviving <laughs> at the time. And uh, so I think we, we need to uh, give ourselves grace um, as we look back. Some of the parents that are a little bit farther down this road and thinking, man, I, I, I messed up, <laughs> but you know, we did too, but we did the best we could with the, with the knowledge we had at the time. And uh, you did too. And so yeah. I think that's, uh, thankfully God gives grace in these situations and, um, and helps us get through them, I think. Yeah. So, and I'm glad we're at the point, at, you know, we're talking so openly you and I together today. We didn't talk like this early on. I wish we had. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we can now. Um, and hopefully that will encourage other parents maybe to talk a little bit more openly and freely with their children. Uh, rather than wait until they're 25 (laughs) to have some of these conversations. Um, So what was it like for you when you became older than Hannah ever was when, you know, Hannah died when she was 17. How did it feel when you turned 18? I think my answer might surprise you. I don't really remember. I don't remember it being a big deal for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it may be a bigger deal for the parent yep, that their younger child has now surpassed their older child. Um, I might not have even realized it 
if I, it wasn't pointed out to me. Um, although, you know, further on down my life, now I'm like, man, okay, I'm 25. Hannah should be almost 30. So she should be, you know, married, have kids. It'd be so cool for her to live close to me. Yeah, I just bought a new house. I would have loved for her to been with me through that journey, you know, walk with me through college, all of those things. So at 18, it wasn't a huge deal for me, but I feel like later on down the road, it's like, man, sure would be nice if she was here experiencing all these big things with me. And I wish I could experience those for her, like her wedding, her kids, you know, who would she be married to? That's what I miss. That's what makes me the most sad is like, I I have none of that. It's just all the time that is lost. Yeah. What should life look like now? And it doesn't. And that's what makes me the most sad now. Right. Just what I'm missing out on, all the things we're missing out on. Yeah. You said one time, and I'm not sure that I can say this right. Dad and I had 17 and a half years with Hannah. We got to enjoy her for her entire life. Mm -hmm. You only got, um, I mean, really, because when you were a little bitty, you didn't even remember the time that you had with her. You really only had, what, about seven or eight years with her that... Probably 10. Yeah, that you really have memory of. Yeah. And that, you know, that makes you kind of feel shortchanged. Yeah, a lot. And on the other side, you know, you live 30 years without Hannah. Yeah. And I literally know no different. Right. Than having her. Right. Until she's gone. But you live 30 years without her. You did life without her. I never did. I never knew life without her. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are things also that I don't think we as parents think about that you never knew life without her until Mm -hmm. she was gone. I mean, she was always, always a part of your life until she wasn't. That's a very hard thing too. So what are some specific things that a parent can do to support their child who has lost their sibling? What is helpful and what maybe is not helpful? So I would say what they can do, um, in the best way you know how, try to see from their eyes, try to, you know, look at their situation through their eyes. Because, you know, like we're, we've been talking, like you're an adult that's going through this. And even though, you know, you are matured as a child, you have to mature going through it. You're still a child. We look at things a lot differently as a child. So try to look through their eyes why they're doing the things that they're doing, why they're rebelling. We don't, a lot of times I feel like we didn't know any better. Um, I would also say realize that they are a child, but they have matured. Treat them like they've matured. Act like they're matured. You know, a regular 12, 13, 14 year old girl is worried about all the, you know, middle school drama and, you know, what boy has a crush on her and all these other things. But that was not what I was worried about, not what I was going through. It was my whole perspective on life and everything changed. And I needed you to treat me like I was older. I needed you to treat me not like I was 
12 or a child, you know, include them in your grief. Don't think that you're protecting them from the grief because they're grieving too. And they need you to come, like I said, alongside them, sit with them in their hurt. Even if it's silent, even if they're not talking to you, even if they're not talking about their sibling, they are hurting and just sit and be present in their hurt and in their pain. Um, definitely things that are not helpful or to not do is don't discredit their emotions um, because they're going to be going through a lot of emotions. Don't, you know, discount how much emotions a, a child can feel because um, it's a lot. I mean, went through a lot, a lot of trauma. Um, don't leave them out. I know we talked about that earlier. Don't leave them out of the conversation. Um, one thing that I wish looking back, like I never, I never went to one of Hannah's chemo treatments ever. I wish I would have been included, but like, that means I would have had to miss school. But I, when I look back, I'm like, I can't even picture her ever getting chemo because I never saw it. And it was just like, I was kind of left, left out of that entire part of the journey. Um, but I think some of that was trying to protect me and trying to keep me in school. So I get it, but I do, I do feel like I missed out on that. I wasn't a part of it. Um, don't try to fix it. Cause as a parent, I know that well, I don't know because I'm not a parent, but your instinct is to fix everything. If your child's hurt, if they break an arm, you want to fix it. You Or if they just went through like a breakup, you want to fix it. You want to fix their situation. You can't. You cannot fix it. So you can't try to fix it. I've said like 15 times, just sit with us in our hurt, love on us, continue to love on us and don't try to fix it. Very good. I think that's all very good things to know. So kind of one last question here. Um, how would you say that you have grown through your experience in losing Hannah? And how has it impacted your faith? I'm still growing. <laughs> it's still a process. Um, it has impacted, like I know it has with parents as well, it has impacted every single corner of, of my life. Um, it still impacts my relationships. Like I'm, I was talking to you the other day when we were preparing for this about how, you know, we were told forever or conditioned from the very beginning that you have to be quiet and push everything down and not talk about things because you don't want to hurt other people. That's still, I still struggle with being able to talk about things because I don't want to hurt other people. It affects my relationships and um, still to this day. Um, I, I'm so much stronger than I was. My faith is stronger. Um, I feel like I am more equipped, obviously, to help people who are going through things. So as my part of my job is talking to patients and I have a lot of patients that go through things, whether that's losing a child, a sibling, a, or losing a job or a marriage. And I can talk to them because of my experiences 
I feel like God has given me an opportunity to use what I've learned and use these things that have happened to me to um, comfort and bring peace to patients or to people um, that I wouldn't be able to if this wouldn't happened. Um, so I am thankful. I am very thankful for that. Um, I feel like I can understand people better in their hurt. I do think my faith suffered a lot in high school um, because I obviously struggled with um, if there's a God, why would he take Hannah? I mean, she's perfect. There's so many other people who he could have taken <laughs> who were not perfect. And that was hard for me to deal with as a 14-year-old girl. You know, you hear God is all loving and all of these things. And I'm like, if he's all loving, why would he take my sister? It was hard as a 14 year old to, to understand. Um, but then you learn later your faith grows, but it took a long time for my faith to grow. I I did. I struggled a lot in high school of, you know, if he's going to, if God's going to do that, I don't want any part of that. Right. But Later on in life, I've learned that um, he takes everything and uses it for good. I mean, just looking at while we're waiting, how many people that it's um, reached and all the good things that are coming out of it. I mean, it's something beautiful that has come out of something so, so horrible and tragic. Don't get me wrong. I would rather have Hannah, but I'm, I'm so thankful that it has turned, that God has used this storm in our lives to turn other people and use my parents for his kingdom and, and to help these people. I help, help everybody. (laughs) I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing that's come out of such a tragic situation. I'm very thankful that God can use it to help other people. Yeah. I remember for several years after Hannah died, um, you know, we always have sat together in church. And for several years, you you couldn't sing. Mm-mm. And um, God has given you your song back. Absolutely. And I'm thankful for that. Don't you cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely did not. I had forgotten that I was even, I forgotten that I was that low Yeah. in the pits. And I am very thankful for how how God has used me um, and given me so much hope and, and joy. And, you know, life didn't end after Hannah passed. It goes on and right. he's been so good and so faithful. And I'm just very thankful. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> very thankful. Very thankful. He's brought us both a long way (laughs) over the last 12 years. Well, Bethany, I'm so glad that you um, were willing to come on the podcast today and just be so open and honest and vulnerable um, about your story and about your grief. And um, I really think that this, um, just hearing you share today is going to be a huge help and encouragement to both parents and uh, surviving siblings. So I appreciate so much you being willing to open yourself up like this. Well, absolutely. Anytime. (laughs) 
So Bethany, is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish? Yeah, I would just say, you know, for the parents, if you're, if your child is, is wayward or is really, really struggling or won't talk to you. I mean, I was, I was there. I would, like we talked to, you know, I was in the pits. I was, I was in deep depression at one point. It was, it was bad. It was ugly. Keep praying for your child. Keep loving your child. If I can make it, if we can make it, anybody can make it. Your child will be okay. Um, you're doing the best you can. We're doing the best we can. We're doing the only thing we know how to do. And, um, yeah, we, we need you as much as you need us. That's right. So it is going to be okay. All right. Well, thank you for those words of encouragement for sure. I know that's going to help some parents who are concerned about their kids right now. Yeah. So thank you for that. All right, Bethany, thanks a lot for coming on. I love you. Love you too, Mom. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and, and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.